would you be willing to cut off so that you could live in this kind of way? It's the point. It's the signal beneath the law. Love God. Love others. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. The kingdom belongs to them. Jesus is saying everything matters. the darkness, and yet the darkness could not overshadow it. 
the sound took on flesh and blood and bone and made his home among us. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Campus House. My name is Ralph, and uh, I'm the worship pastor here. Uh, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and eventually we'll get to that. Uh, but first, I want to take some time to explain why we just spent five minutes reading fiction. Um, those first two moments in Tolkien and Lewis were these imaginative takes on creation. And so for them, Genesis 1 was in view, and as they see creation, they see it as an act of music. And then, as we saw with John the Apostle, he has a similar language. He says that it was created by the logos, the word, the sound. So when we look at Jesus today, I want to I give us a backstory for what we're going to see, a lens to kind of read this through. And so the lens is this idea that there is a song beneath creation, so God, who is, as First John tells us, in essence love, not a characteristic or an attribute, that's lovingness or lovability, he is in essence love itself. And this God undergirds and holds all things together in the logos, the word, the breath, the sound, the melody. Colossians 1 talks about this, the sun being the image of the invisible God, the, the fullness of God dwelling in him, and in him all things hold together. All things are held together by a song. And from the beginning of creation to its end, the invitation and purpose of creation is to respond and participate in this song of the creator. And for humanity, whose express purpose is to image God to the rest of creation, there is one law. And so if, you know, I'm probably going to belabor this point and this analogy way too long. It's kind of my MO. But uh, this lens of music. So if we're talking about a law or a rule in music, it could be a key signature or uh, a time signature or a locked-in melodic theme. But the law of the song of the creator is to love to love God, love others, love creation, but to love with everything that we have. And so we are invited to join in on the song and echo it to the corners of the world, to steward it in our lives, to resonate in our relationships. But the narrative of Scripture, starting in Genesis, tells us that humanity as it was couldn't handle the signal that didn't have the right equipment. And even there, as we see in Genesis 3, the, uh, the, uh, as humanity fails to, to carry the song forward, God says, yeah, you missed it. <laughs> but there will be one who comes who can handle the signal. The serpent, the death will bite his heel, but he will crush it. He will carry the song. But humanity again and again fails to sing the song, and again and again God provides new ways for us to get it, pointing forward to this time when we can all participate in this song of the Creator. 
Um, to understand this, I want to get nerdy for a second, if that's okay with you. Um, I'm not an expert by any means, but uh, this is, uh, you can call me an enthusiast. Uh, I want to talk about the difference between uh, analog and digital sound. Cool, right? Uh, bear with me. Um, so music, sound in general, is communicated by a wave. All right, so this is uh, an analog sound, analog wave. It's perfect and smooth. But most music that we know and listen to is digital. It looks, looks more like this. It's rougher, more ragged. And essentially, a digital wave is a mathematical reduplication of an analog wave. Are you with me? I see my engineers. They're locked in. <laughs> And so without getting too far into the technical jargon like bit depth and resolution, um, a, a digital wave, uh, with, with a digital, the more rules and laws and little bits that you have in there, the closer you get to, this, to the analog sound. So you can kind of see that in this image, right? So if you had more of those little squares, you could get closer to that perfect curve. But with more rules, the more processing power you need. You need more CPU to handle so much information. It's power you can't get in an MP3. It's why the sound quality of our, of our phones isn't the same as you get from audiophiles who prefer the sound of vinyl, right? Like, why is that such a big thing? It's because it's an analog sound. It's closer to the original. All right, are you with me? Is that, are we tracking? Okay. <clears throat> so, the way this connects, um, in my brain at least, is uh, Rob talked a couple weeks ago about um, Jesus coming to fulfill the law. So we see this in verse 17 in Matthew 5. Um, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But then he just says things that sound like he's knocking out the law. But what, what he's trying to do and what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he is revealing what the law was supposed to do. He's, he's showing us the spirit, the signal, the sound, the melody beneath the law. He's saying, I'm, I want to show you the original signal. I want to show you the analog. If we remember uh, that Bible Project video from a couple weeks ago, we see that according to this uh, Exodus narrative, <clears throat> these laws come as God's people couldn't follow the instructions. And so God leads them out of Egypt and, and instructs them to follow him, and they grumble. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments, and they break them. And then he gives them some more laws, but they just keep breaking the laws. So just like in the garden couldn't handle this analog signal, which remember is, is to love God and love others. That's, that's the message beneath. But we kept breaking each of the laws. And so we even added more. At the, at the end of, uh, of the Pentateuch, we have 613 laws um, trying to help the people of Israel in their culture and context to follow this analog signal. Uh, but they couldn't handle it, so we get this digital version but as with digital, the more laws, the more data, the more processing and CPU required. And when we get to the New Testament, this is what we see with the Pharisees. And so from the time of the end of the Pentateuch to uh, what we see in the New Testament, there's all this time that's passed, hundreds of years. And 
over the course of time, they started to realize, actually, we don't even know how to follow the 613. There are different interpretations, so we need more laws. And so they, they called it building a fence around the law. And so they would add these oral traditions so that they could even follow the original 613. So by the time we get to Jesus and the Pharisees, they have all these oral traditions that they're trying to follow on top of it. And the result was that it was a heavy, heavy load. And in the process, they missed out on what the melody actually was. So when I'm uh, working on a piece of music on my, on my computer, um, I want to get the, the best, highest quality sound I can. But there's a balance, because if it's too big, my computer literally crashes. It can't handle all the information. It's too much. That's what we see here. But Jesus says, even these Pharisees who have this, this, all these laws, they're trying to get as close as they can, you actually have to surpass them. If you're going the digital route, you need even more. But what he's really saying is that the digital message of the law is not a sufficient substitute for God's analog message of love. Say that again, because that's basically the point of all of what I've just said. The digital message of the law is not a sufficient substitute for God's analog message of love. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus was an audiophile, right? He, he wanted that vintage vinyl. And so rather than using rules to manufacture morality, what we see Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's stripping back the layers to get back to this original signal, love God and love others. Love God, love others. It's the point. It's the signal beneath the law. Love God, love others. Because underneath it is a message that is full of truth and light and freedom, and it doesn't require a bigger processor or more rules. It requires a whole different system. Right? In Matthew 11, Jesus talks about uh, those who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, take my system on you. It's easy and light. Live my way. I'm the truth and the life. Go straight to the Father through me. I'm sending my spirit to enable you to obey and live out this analog signal. That's what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's presenting a vision of what a kingdom of people who respond and participate in God's creation song. He's revealing what they look like. He's presenting what they sound like, and he's inviting us to live that kind of way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. The kingdom belongs to them. So the reason I wanted to spend all this time setting it up is because what we see when we look at Jesus following verse 17 in Matthew 5, when he says he's come to fulfill the law and accomplish it, he starts directly addressing the law because it's what they know. And he, he wants to peel it back to show the original sound underneath, the spirit of the law, the purpose underneath it. And so it's going to help us to understand why Jesus says some of the things he says. It's going to help us tune in to what that original signal is supposed to be. So if you've got your Bibles, let's actually get to Matthew 5. It's from the Kingdom New Testament. We'll start in verse 27. You heard Jesus continued that it was said, 
you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who gazes at a woman in order to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye trips you up, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to have one part of your body destroyed than for the whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand trips you up, cut it off and throw it away. Yes, it is better for you to have one part of your body destroyed than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. It was also said, if someone divorces his wife, he should give her a legal document to prove it. But I say to you, Everyone who divorces his wife, unless it's a con- in connection with immorality, makes her commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Again, you heard it was said to the people long ago, don't f- swear falsely, but give to the Lord what you promised. But I say to you, don't swear at all. Don't swear by heaven, it's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth, it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, it's the city of the king. Don't swear by your head, you can't make one hair of it turn white or black. And when you're talking, say yes, when you mean yes, and no, when you mean no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this this time to be together, to listen, to listen for that that creation song that's holding all things together. as As we dive into this, as we dig deeper, would we see and hear and get an imagination for what it would look like for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your invitations to us today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before I jump right into application, I want to explain some of the bits um, to uh, address some of the context that is in the passage that might clear up a little bit of the confusion. So the first thing we need to remember in this passage is that Jesus is directly addressing the law, right? Right after verse 17, he just starts going right at the law. And so all the things he says are through this lens of the law. So for example, in verse 31, when he starts talking about a divorce, why does he just address the sinfulness of the woman? Is only the woman sinful? In the ancient Near East, this was the common rhetoric, right? It's uh, the woman is a seductress. And so any um, falling into sin is really, it's on her. That's not what he's saying, so clear that up. He, first of all, in Matthew 19, he talks about divorce again, and, in, and when he talks about it there, he specifically says men are sinful when they do this as well. So um, that's not what he's saying. But specifically here, because he's addressing the law, the law only addresses men in this. In that culture, men had the power to divorce, and they could do it for whatever they wanted. Now, this wasn't the law, this was the culture, but uh, they had the power to divorce. And so Jesus is saying, you, the one who has the power to do this, just because you get off free here, your actions are actually affecting others. He's specifically saying, this law you guys have about divorcing women, you don't realize you are making them into an adulteress. It is not a neutral act. So he's not leaving men out. He's actually addressing them specifically He's saying your actions matter and they actually mean something. 
when we look at the uh, conversation about adultery, um, that's, he's saying, look at, you know, in the law, the seventh command is don't commit adultery. And the way that he takes it deeper is so interesting because he doesn't just say, uh, this is what you say, and then I'm going to say something completely different. He's saying, this is what you say in the law, and then he says, also, later in the, in the law, it says something that addresses this as well. And so the tenth commandment uses the exact same word as verse 28. So Exodus 20, 17, and Matthew 5, 28, the word is to lust or to covet. Epithemesi. It, it's the same word, and so he's saying, yes, just because you've kept the seventh commandment doesn't mean you've kept the tenth. And so they, if you think you can separate all these out and obey them on their own, it doesn't work like that. Everything is connected. So he takes them deeper by directly addressing the law. And the bit with oaths, which is a little odd to us, but the law specifically forbade taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, but because of the need to, you know, really prove your word, um, people would swear by lesser things so that if they broke them, at least they wouldn't be dishonoring the Lord's name. But Jesus says, just because you don't swear by the name of Yahweh specifically, actually everything belongs to God, right? So heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Even you belong to God. And so don't swear by anything. Be people of integrity. And so the way that Jesus tells the people, it's just, it's brilliant. He tells them to be integrous by addressing them through what they know, through the law. Saying the way you've been doing this is wrong. Look underneath. So he directly addresses the law. The second thing I wanted to talk about is um, what is with the intense imagery, right? So Gehenna is this fiery burning dump outside Jerusalem used in apocalyptic writings for destruction and death at the hands of foreign nations. And then he talks about cutting off limbs and gouging out eyes. What happened to the lamb? What happened to the, the meek? I like that conversation. What is up with this? Um, Jesus is using a very common rhetorical device of his day. It's common in these uh, rabbinic literature. It's common in um, these teachings from the ancient Near East. We might call it hyperbole or dramatic effect, but Jesus is grabbing the attention of his listeners, and he's saying, pay attention and listen. And then he takes them deeper. Jesus is not recommending self-harm. He's not supporting physical mutilation, but he's saying, follow the thread of this thought. If you had to get rid of everything that caused you to sin, what would you have left? And so with this grabbing statement, he invites them to think deeper. Follow the thread. What would you have left? It's an invitation to think deeply about our actions and what we're willing to do to live differently. So the, the challenge of this passage that was assigned to me um, by my father-in-law, I might add, um, you know, sex, lust, adultery, divorce, faithfulness. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. The challenge is that each of these could function as a sermon on its own, and so rather than doing three little mini sermonettes, um, I, I just wanted to listen and see if there was an invitation that kind of tied them all together. And what really began to stand out was this theme that uh, everything matters, 
which is the theme of Jubilee that's going on this weekend, and I didn't steal it, I promise. We can just call it a holy coincidence. Um, But walk with me through this idea. Okay, so in this passage, just these 10 verses, uh, Jesus says that what you think about, what you say, what you promise and commit to in your relationships, and what you do with your body and your time, all of it matters to God. Everything matters. So when talking about adultery and lust, Jesus is saying, follow the thread. Your whole self is involved in this process. You can't separate things out. There is nothing worth holding on to if it sacrifices living the Jesus way. John Wesley put it like this, part with anything, however dear to you or otherwise useful, if you cannot avoid sin while, keep, while you keep it. Part with anything, however dear to you, if you cannot avoid sin while you keep it. So it's a, a call to see ourselves as a holistic whole person, all connected. Everything matters. We can't section out parts of our lives. Everything matters. When talking about divorce, Jesus doesn't say, I've come to rid us of the law. There were some kind of weird bits in there. And so I just, I'm going to abandon the whole thing. It doesn't really matter. I, I don't care that much. Do what you want. No, he's saying everything matters to God. The law is pointing to the reality that divorce is not life-giving. We should know that, but apparently we didn't. Divorce is not life-giving. And Jesus is saying, divorce is not life-giving. Romans 13 shows us that the new law of Jesus fulfills the old. And this new law is love. Romans 13, 8 says, love fulfills the law. And so I want to say there is grace for those of you who come from broken families. that We don't have to repeat the cycles. And there is grace and hope for those whose marriages have failed. Love can cover over the brokenness. But Jesus is saying just because love can cover it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter matters deeply. Love is costly. Love is laying down your life for another. It is self-sacrificially giving of yourself for another. And so we have to recognize that divorce is the breaking of a promise, and that is painful. It matters, and the love required to fill that is deep and costly. Everything we do matters. And further, when Jesus rebukes the men for divorcing these women in these immoral ways. He's saying that what we do actually harms others. We don't exist in a vacuum. Our cultural moment tells us that we just need to be concerned with ourselves and we'll be good. But what we do actually deeply affects other people. Our holiness and purity is not an individual battle. It is not only an individual consequence. We're so egocentric that we think sin just affects us, but sin is bigger than ourselves, and others are deeply affected by our actions. And lastly, when Jesus talks about oaths, he's saying that oaths are needed in a world where we live as if what we do doesn't matter. Just take a brief look at the news, look at politics and officials and anyone who has any sort of power can just do what they want and it seems like no consequences come for anyone's actions. I think the world is asking, does anything matter? 
oaths are needed in a world where we live as if what we do doesn't matter. We can't trust anybody. We don't live holistic, integrous lives. So we need oaths to cover that inconsistency. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You shouldn't just avoid swearing by, by Yahweh. Live a life so holistic and so full of integrity that you don't even need to swear. So adultery, lust, divorce, oaths. Jesus is saying everything matters. I think sometimes when we look at the Sermon on the Mount and all these things that Jesus is saying, we can start to feel like he's just setting another moral bar for us to jump over, another hoop to jump through. But that's not what he's getting at. It's not don't have sex because God hates it. It's what you do with your body matters to God. It's not don't lust because it offends God. It's what we do with our mind matters to God. It's not don't get divorced because it makes God mad. It's how we live affects other people. It's not don't swear because God just can't look upon our our filth. Instead, it's everything we do, how we live, who we become matters to God. To further emphasize this point, if we just look at who Jesus hangs out with, how he interacts with them, and then look at who Jesus is kind of annoyed by and how he interacts with them, kind of starts to paint this picture. So we have the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the crooks. He eats with them and he laughs with them and he loves them and he lets them pour perfume on him and wipe his feet with their hair. A little strange to me, but uh, he, he loves them and he's affectionate towards them. But then the religious leaders, the ones who are supposedly getting it right, he has harsh words. He rebukes them. He challenges them. All these parables about insiders finding themselves outside, these are pointed at them. And so I just, I want to dispel the idea that Jesus was just setting a higher moral bar, and that if you miss it, straight to the fire. Instead, he's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like, and if you're outside of it, come in. Live this way, not because I'm a demanding executioner, but because this is the way of life, and to do otherwise is death. Live this way. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor and the hungry and the destitute and the trampled of the earth. My kingdom is for those kinds of people. His message is not one of just condemnation, but one of revelation and grace. It's saying, this is what it looks like, so come in. It's one of warning, but also invitation. It's saying, this is the way, so come. And so what would it look like if we lived as if everything mattered? (laughs) What would it look like if we together lived in such a way that everything mattered? matter to God? How would we live differently? Maybe another way to ask this is, what kind of story is our life telling? All the choices that we make, no matter how small and insignificant, they start to add up. And what we believe is what we become. How we live becomes our character. We are more than what we do, but what we do is who we become. 
So what story are we telling? As Jesus strips back the law to reveal the sound beneath the the melody of God, the song we are invited to receive, to be enlivened by, to join in with, to echo to the corners of the earth, as we hear this song, what areas of our life start to become dissonant? What doesn't sound right when we start to listen to that that music, to that melody, what parts of our life start to lose their weight? We're going to take communion together, um, so if you're helping with that, you guys can go ahead and pass it out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to, to take this with us. But today, could we see communion as a tuning fork, right, or a, a device that, that pulls us into the right key? cueing us to listen rightly to the invitational song of our creator. Communion is a partaking of the life of Jesus. It's consuming rather than the hectic, frantic, busy, hurried, chaotic life around us. It's instead consuming the way, the life-giving way of Jesus. Letting him shape us for new life from the inside. And listening and following this analog sound, this, this call, this invitation, this melody of loving God and loving others, um, it's possible by the Spirit of Christ within us, enabling us to live as this new kingdom humanity. So you guys go ahead and pass that out. Um, we'll, we'll take it together. As the bread and the cup are passed, would you take a moment to reflect as you stare at the bread, which is Christ's body broken for you, and the cup, which is his blood poured out for the promise of new life and restoration. As you stare at this, it's the climax of this creation song of love. <laughs> fully exhibited on the cross, what parts of your life start to become dissonant with that? What areas of your life lose their weight? Communion, if we let it, can bring a laser focus to our priorities, showing us the things that matter as we look through the crosshairs of the cross. What things start to make sense and what things don't? through these passages, and I didn't um, mention and talk about the dangers of, of lust and addiction, and um, I, I think the statistics <laughs> are overwhelming. The number of marriages ending in unfaithfulness, one-fifth of mobile searches for some form of pornography, an endless cycle of a culture te- that tells you, one, that sex is the most important thing about you, and then two, it doesn't really matter what you do with it. Um, which is just really dangerous and careless. 
Sex is a beautiful gift from God, but it is not the primary aspect of our humanity. It's one part of a holistic person. And also, it does matter what you do. Everything matters. But aside from the cultural message, I want to name that sexual addiction and obsession and temptation, these are real struggles for everybody. And Jesus' invitation is to ask you how serious you are about living in a way that's truly in line with his kingdom. So I want to say a couple things about this. Um, I have spent the last week ankle deep in sewage um, in my basement. Um, not the ideal place for that. I am uh, currently grateful that I don't smell like it, to my knowledge. Um, we, we have a problem with our sewer lines and it's causing sewage to come up through our basement drain that's supposed to keep water out. So it's not serving its purpose. Um, the sewer line itself is a really expensive fix, and it's going to take a lot of time, uh, months and months of uh, money and labor hours and digging up of the yard and the street. But um, I still have this open hole in my basement that at any time could back up and fill my house with sewage, dark matter. (laughs) In the past, I tried to uh, temporarily uh, block the drain. I made this kind of makeshift uh, check valve and a float stop, and it didn't work. Um, It came down, I didn't want to completely lose the functionality of the drain. I still wanted to use it as it was made to. But as of this last week, um, the potential dangers of having that open drain became too much, and so I filled that sucker in with concrete. Um, So there won't be any sewage coming from that particular spot. Um, So so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, a day when the deeper problem of my sewer lines are are healed from the inside. Um, But that's going to be a while but as, as that's happening, I'm also cutting off opportunities for that sewage to do further damage in my house through this drain. And so my invitation to you is this. Is, uh, Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, lust comes from the heart. It's not just a physical issue, right? Everything's connected. And lust comes from the heart. However, he also says that anything that's causing you to sin, get rid of it. So just asserting disciplines won't fix the heart problem. That is a long process that Jesus is going to be walking with you in if you follow and listen to his invitations. But one of the ways that he works alongside you is to, in the temporary, show you places that you can cut off, (laughs) To, to block off access points that can cause further damage. Or lead us to stumble. And so whatever addiction or temptation you struggle with, what would you be willing to cut off so that you could live in this kind of way, this life-giving way of freedom? What would you be willing to seal off with concrete so that no sewage can come back in? If it's pornography, do you really need to have a private browser on your phone? Is it too costly to pay to have an accountability partner receive updates about your browser usage? 
I mean, honestly, phones didn't even used to have internet on them. Or if you can't drink without getting drunk, do you really need it? If it's the only way you connect with friends, maybe you need better ones. And if you can't uh, deal or keep away from deep anger or a temper, do we need Twitter? (laughs) There's a cost to these things, right? I can't now use my drain as it was supposed to function, so I have to get around that in a different way. I've got to, it, it changes my life a little bit. There are things I have to do differently. But I know at the very least, sewer stuff, <laughs> I guess you call that sewage, does, <laughs> is not going to enter into my house through that drain. Lastly, this is not an individual fight. The enemy would love to keep us as solo warriors, but um, we are going to fail if we do it by ourselves. We just, we, we're not meant to live in that kind of way. We're meant to do this together. We need each other. And so could you commit to today, if, you, if God is tweaking at your heartstrings, if there's something that you feel an invitation to cut out of your life, to seal up with concrete, you commit to entertaining that? And then would you also commit to bringing other people into it? 